everyone. So every summer, Joe and I as Swim Swift Elite head out to Croatia uh, in August to run some swim camps in collaboration with In Croatia Sports Education and Travel. And we've come to be really good friends with the CEO of that company, Ivan Brunica. And, <laughs> and he's here with us today. Um, he's been so many places, done so many things that he's got an incredible bio. So Ivan is uh, CEO of In Croatia Sports Education and Travel, as we mentioned. He's also the creative director of a tri theatre company. Uh, he's born in Croatia, uh, finished high school in the USA before getting his BA in English Literature at Ljubljana University. Uh, and he also got his MPhil in Dramaturgy at the University of Glasgow. Bit of an all-rounder. Uh, so after six years of working in Scotland, Luxembourg and the USA, he moved back to Croatia and dedica dedicated himself to the three things that he's most passionate about, which is youth, theatre and sports. Ivan started Tri Theatre, which is now an international drama school, uh, with the overreaching aim of using drama as a unique tool to build self-awareness, self-confidence and inspire personal and social change in youngsters. He's written 10 full-length plays, which is pretty impressive, three of which have actually received international attention and awards as well. Uh, as a theatre professional, he's led workshops and collaborated with the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland, National Youth Theatre of England, Prague Youth Theatre, Santa Monica College, and also several international schools too. At the same time, uh, he's also founded and managed In Croatia Sports Education and Travel, which is a destination management company. And he's worked in close cooperation with local and international institutions. Um, in Croatia organizes trips and events that are sustainable, meaningful, and can enrich the experience of athletes and students visiting Croatia. Through In Croatia, Evans worked with lots of different companies and people, including USA Swimming, United Nations Development Programme, Michigan State University, and also us, Swim Swift Elite. <laughs> um, he's a father of two. He loves spending time outdoors, which we will speak about a little bit today as well. And you'll often find him swimming and running on the beaches of Croatia or now Portugal. <laughs> Indeed. That's a, half an hour, that's a half an hour, Amy, isn't it? I think that's just all we've got. We've got two minutes to wrap it up. I'll just say, yep, what she so, said and, and, and move on from there. So, so thank you for being with us today, Ivan. How are you? I'm really, really well. I'm really well and I'm really excited to be on. Uh, truly am. And thanks so much for having me, guys, because... Um, I think that what you guys are doing and primarily who you are as individuals, as human beings, is just wonderful. And um, to expose yourself to young people, old people, it doesn't matter, to people around the world with your ideas, with your work ethic and with your propensity to learn, with your propensity to grow, I think it's a wonderful thing. So um, I would just like to start off by giving you a little bit of gratitude back uh, because like you said, we're more than just business partners, we're very good friends and I think that what you bring into my life and other people's life is very valuable to me. So thanks for having me and thanks for being so good at what you do. Oh, thank, thank you, mate. Just love flying all around today. Just, uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Why not? Why not? Let's see what happens by the end of it though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So how are you coping with the lockdown, mate? Obviously, it's uh, going to affect the businesses uh, in Croatia and try theatre quite a bit. Like, how are you coping with it personally? I think um, not to lie, because obviously, so like we kind of like grow up with this inclination to sort of like paint a rosy picture of life, you know, kind of like even people kind of like ask you, hey, how are you? And you're kind of like, oh, yeah, great, great, you know, great, business is great, work's great, yeah, just, you know, wife awesome, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all kind of like have this sort of like socially conditioned inclination to go into, oh, yeah, everything's great, which has the adverse effect of making other people feel like they need to keep up. And then we go into sort of like, oh, you know. So, for me, it's been uppish and downish. It's it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride. Um, it kind of depends on what they catch me on. But I think, like so many people right now, motivation is an issue because, um, like we discussed before, it's almost like it's been a half time. You know, you're playing your game, you're running, 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 and all of a sudden there's a half time whistle. The ref, you know, so like pushes you into the locker room, and you're in that locker room. You don't know how long the halftime is going to last and you don't know whether it's still going to be the same sport once you come back on. So sometimes it's a little bit difficult for me to find motivation. Um, and absolutely enjoyable either to be interacting with friends like yourselves or just to be sort of like, you know what? Enjoy the moment. This is a rare opportunity not to have to be with your mind in the future or the past, be like, oh, I need to organize this here, I need to organize this there, and I've got that play over there, and, that, that, and if this happens here, and if it happens there, but you can just be like, you know what? I'm sitting down in this nice little living room, I'm having a cup of coffee, I'm talking to friends. <laughs> you know, like, this is a really nice thing. So I think that from time to time, whenever you can get yourself out of the worrying mind of sort of like, this could be better and why is this not happening and what if this happens and what if that happens? Yeah. It's a really beautiful, liberating feeling as well, just going like, you're pretty set as you are, you know, type of thing. You don't, you don't need to go out there and, you know, make the world a better place all the time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you've uh, one way that you try and kind of keep sane and keep happy a lot of the time is to go out and do you, you swim and you run and you know keep fit in that kind of respect and i know that in croatia are linking in with the swim run events program now aren't you so um can you tell us a little bit about that and what you're still able to do at the moment over there with regards to doing your own swim swimming and running um yeah actually quite a bit so um thanks yeah that's a great question but like to me one of the nicest things about running in croatia certainly something that's kept me really really invested into it was um meeting people like yourselves or other partners who have also pushed me to step outside of my comfort zone you know so like just like whenever you guys are in croatia i'll sort of like get a cheeky one-on-one -on -one session or in your case one-on-two session so <laughs> i've just got my private olympic coaches over there by the side <laughs> so um but um yeah so like to really try and improve so not just to be like oh yeah this is just work but that you actually that you actually try and push yourself outside of your own comfort zone in terms of what you do physically, where you go mentally, and as as you know, so many times the two are interlocked. So uh, for me, the first time that we started working with Hütelo, the uh, Swim Run World Championship, uh, the company from Sweden, on on organising one of the races in Croatia, and 
these two chaps, uh, Michael and Mats, came down to, to, to do a recce on uh, the location. And it was March, and the temperature of the water was, of the Adriatic was maybe 13, 14 at the time. And they sort of like, said, right, we're going to go for a swim. You're coming with. And I just kind of gave him a look that Eddie Creation would have given him, going like, yeah, you enjoy your bloody Arctic things, you know, I'm like, not, not my cover. And then they went for a swim, they swam for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes, came back out, and got me to think, so like, well, it's not like they have completely different bodies. It's not like they have blubber. They're not, you know, sea horses. So, like, um, why can they do that and I can't? And so, clearly, it comes down to clearly it comes down to playing games with your mind. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. It's just kind of like anyone who's ever had the experience. To me, it's a, it's a worthy metaphor of sharing. Anyone who's ever had an experience of working with sort of like a, a handyman um, or a constructor, a contractor comes in and you want to have your you want to have your house done a certain way. You have an idea. And then the contractor comes in and he says, oh, no, no, that's not how it's done. Oh, no, no, sorry, you can't do that. No, 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 we always do it this way. We could, but it'll take too much work. So they saw like, and that's, they saw like get you to think a different way. And that's, the contractor is the mind in so many cases. You know, it kind of tells you, oh, 14 degree water. No, you can't do that. Oh, you'll catch a cold. Oh, you won't be able to take your kids to school. Oh, you've got this big event. You, you don't want to do that. You can handle your midlife crisis a different way. But then, if you're, but then if you're persistent enough in sticking to, no, I think I can, then you can really build it, you can really build it in the way that you want to have it built. So, so the nice thing about being in Portugal right now is that the temperature of the Atlantic Ocean here stays between 15 and 19 degrees all throughout the year. So at least four or five uh, days a week, I'll get myself out and do about couple of kilometers of swimming, maybe kilometers sometimes on the worst day. Um, kind of depends on the waves as well. If the waves are really big, then it's difficult to do. Um, and then there's a lot of running opportunities as well. So, so I'll do quite a bit of that. But going back to the motivation thing, you know, it's always a lot easier to train when you have a race that you're training for. You know, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I've got this competition. I need to get into that and I need to shape up because you'll need a man. Um, but um, yeah, so there's nothing, there's nothing to train for right now except for mental sanity. But they tell me that's quite important as well. So yeah, I'll, I'll do a bit of, I'll do a bit of that from time to time. When insanity fails me, I'll try sanity. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really, like you guys, I've really, I've really enjoyed all the, I've really enjoyed all the videos that you posted. By the way, <laughs> just saying, and if, if if anyone out there hasn't seen them yet, please, they're all over Facebook. Mm -hmm. The next. Oh, you can't say viral thing. It's not politically correct, but the next popular thing. So, um, and I think that really what you're doing with, with all the exercises that you're showing, we've been sharing it, and I think it's really helped a lot of people out on, on how to stay fit and how to stay in shape even when the pool's not available. So thank you guys for that. No, hey, welcome. We've enjoyed doing them, as we've enjoyed speaking to guys like yourself as well. Um, well, I, like, I really like your point there about sort of, Basically, the human body is so robust, isn't it? And I think very often the limiting factor is your mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's how to keep that in the strongest position it can be so that you do push yourself outside that comfort zone. And I just think, yeah, sometimes, especially living in the world we live in now, um, you know, it, we often get a bit comfortable. And I think we kind of forget how robust the human body actually is. And we don't push it as much as we possibly could. So even if it's things like swimming in colder water than we'd normally like to, 
I think it's a really good thing to do to keep you kind of on your toes, keep you motivated, keep you young as well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, you guys have spent so much time in the pool, you know, like thousands and thousands of hours in the pool. It's kind of like, how do you keep up the motivation to keep counting tiles? Um, you know, up and down and up and down and up and down because it can, it can get tedious, you know, especially sort of like, I would say that 25 to 50% of the training process into it because your first 25% is kind of fine because you still have the, all right, let's do this. But then as you enter sort of like the second quarter, you're kind of like, uh, you know, typically this is like where the kind of like you start sinking in terms of motivation before you kind of like again level it out to the second part in which you find your zen and just keep swimming. Um, but really it's, it's a big thing of just, I think, um, having a very honest conversation with yourself and, and knowing that at the end of the day, this is something that you love, you know, that it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I don't think that you should train I am not a proponent of result-driven training. Um, but so I don't think that you should just push yourself to win first place or to make it to a certain competition. I know that helps. I know that's how we built. I know that's not necessarily built, but that's how we taught to be if we go, if we go into competition. Um, but I think really the training process is a beautiful process because it gets you to push your own boundaries, to move your own personal boundaries. If it just so happens that within the process of moving your own personal boundaries, you happen to be successful on a social level or a competitive level as well, then that's fantastic as well. But if you only train to win, then you can never quite fully win. Or you only win for, you know, like a day or two. Okay, you know, I'm happy for a week. And then it's kind of like, now what's next? so I don't think that as a society we have a particularly healthy, healthy view of, of competition as such at the moment. Um, there is to what I perceive to be, and again, not to be too prescriptive, but I, I perceive to be too much of an emphasis of, on winners um, and you have to win. But it's, it's such a polarizing, it's such a polarizing thing. You know, people talk about polarization being a bad thing, which, which I agree with. So like, you know, half the country in the United States is with Trump and the other half is very anti-Trump and, you know, similar thing politically in Great Britain as well and then many places today. But sports is the epitome of that, if you look upon it, you know. Most people look at sports as, well, I don't want to be lost. You know, and in cultures like uh, the Yugoslav culture, the Balkan culture in which I grew up, second place is considered losing. You know, it's kind of like, oh, we made it to the finals. Oh, what happened there? Oh, I'm so sorry, mate. You know, Um, and it just sort of like leaves you with this platform feeling, with this base feeling that you're not adequate. It leaves you with this base feeling that you should be better, that your life should be better. If you work harder that if you spend an extra hour in the gym or whatever it might be you know or even cheat in the end that's why people use steroids and like um so and doping so that if you can do that that you can cure your internal self-acceptance illness essentially of kind of like yes if i can be like michael jordan and if i can be like roger federer if i can be like michael phelps um then i'm going to be happy but you're not, you know, the, the, the happiness really or acceptance is, is really your internal thing. Um, not so much, not so much. Yeah, I've got it all figured out. I've got 
the most amazing job. Athletically, I'm number one in the world. I've got more money than Warren Buffett. My uh, wife is the hottest woman in the world. And I drive a Lamborghini slash Ferrari because the two companies got together to make a car just for me. So I can be extra special, you know? So, um, and like, if you meet all those five, oh yeah, abs like Cristiano Ronaldo. And if you meet all those criteria, then then you're set for life, but but you're not. I think there's a paradox there that, um, the paradox is that that, uh, if you assume that, a positive experience is going to complete your life, that in itself is a negative experience. So because that points to the fact that you don't feel happy in yourself, that you don't feel accept yourself. And if you accept your own negativities, that in itself is a positive experience because you have a much better relationship with yourself. Just, you know, so like giving yourself a hug and say, yeah, you're all right, mate, you're, you're, you're all right. You don't have to go out there and, you know, learn how to speak Russian and Hindu and, uh, seduce 88 women or guys or whatever, you know, to be like, oh yes, finally I made it. But that you have much more of sort of like, this is fun and I do this because it's fun and because I enjoy it, not necessarily because I have points to prove. So, yeah, some really good points there, man. It's really uh, some deep stuff. It went straight deep. I like it straight away. We were talking about the deep end of the, the deep end of the pool, Joe, baby. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> where you find me. We've been discussing sort of similar topics recently. We're watching this new documentary. We mentioned it to yourself recently. The Last Dance, uh, the one that Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. You just mentioned Jordan then. But even though he was like this ultra winner, like literally he he transcended sport, like he done everything. He's arguably the greatest athlete of all time. Um, definitely arguably the greatest basketballer. Um, he still doesn't seem very happy. When I'm watching the documentary, he just still doesn't seem very satisfied, even though he did absolutely everything that, that could possibly be done within the game. We watched the most recent episode last night, and he was playing um, just with some security guards, just chucking a coin against the wall. Oh, yeah. yeah, and he was genuinely annoyed. He was genuinely upset yeah. that he'd lost to that. You could see he tried to... But he couldn't even hide it. It's hard to do that. Yeah. It's like you're the MVP of the league, you know, all this stuff. And he upset because he lost like one nickel to a security guard. It's a a really interesting, yeah, it's a really interesting documentary, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think he takes pride in in his competitive edge um, because that's the biggest thing he's got, you know. And, And obviously it's got him to win six championships and be a living legend like you say in, in, in the eyes of many and I grew up as a basketball player and you know like I was a teenager at, at, at the time when he was doing all that in the 90s so like for me definitely he was God you know at the time if you asked me what did you want to be in the 90s I wanted to be like Mike so I, I don't know why I didn't do it yeah those damn refs and those damn refs and coaches they didn't recognize my greatness but, um, but uh, he says in the very same episode, actually, he says a really interesting thing. He's defending himself about um, the gambling thing. And he says, like, I don't have a gambling problem. I have a competition problem. Oh, boy, he probably should have said it's a competitiveness problem. Um, but because he won all the competitions he was in. But, <laughs> but, uh, but competitiveness is, is an addiction. Uh, and a lot of the times when people talk about addictions, they, they think about sort of like the physical addictions, you know, like smoking or drugs or whatever. But the biggest addictions that we have are, are, are 
behavioral addictions, right? So for him, his life or his value in life seems to be, I don't know him personally, this is just obviously based off of, of what I've seen read about him, is it seems to be connected directly. His, his self-worth is directly connected to winning. Yeah. And if he wins, he feels that he deserves the love and he deserves to be alive. And if he loses, even if it's like, you know, chucking nickels, um, then it, he feels bad. He feels like his deeply rooted self sense of inadequacy has been confirmed. But I, I think so. And I, I honestly do believe, uh, not to get too deep again, but I do believe that at the moment, the Western culture does have this problem of, um, so like teaching us all that it's only a certain set of rules that will make us feel more successful, but that the base that we are kind of like taught as kids is that we are not fully adequate, right? Because we don't, we're not on the billboard for the latest lingerie commercial and we're not the smartest person out there and we are not the most popular person out there and, and we're not the most successful person out there. And especially with, you know, social media, internet, it's just throwing so many so many pieces of information at you it's so easy to just so like try and process all this and just say no you know what this is like I'm, I'm a failure you know like look at all these amazing people look at all these popular people this guy can sing this guy can dance this can play basketball this one has a lot of money this one had a brilliant idea at the age of 16 i became a billionaire why am i such a loser you know, um, and I think it's a, I think it's a really, really easy thing for people to fall upon, and then only feel like, to use a sporting metaphor, is is like you're always behind. Let's use basketball. You're always 25. You're born 25 points behind, and then you're always trying to catch up. And on good days and on good years, you feel that you're only behind five points, but then again, something happens and you miss a couple of shots. And then you fall back behind even more and you're feeling worse about that and so on and so forth. So it's a precarious position. I don't think that, I don't think that um, we're taught enough to accept ourselves. You know, with the positive, positive and, and negative traits, I, I think Shakespeare, who is probably one of my favorite authors, had wonderful insights, um, despite being English, is, uh, is uh, you know, nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And, and it's, it's such a simple line, and uh, I think uh, Polonius says it in Hamlet. And um, it's such a, or Hamlet says it in Hamlet. I forget one of those chaps that die in the end, but they all die. So, um, so they, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like, what, what paint do you put on your own perception of life? Right? Because you have enough, you have enough to be happy about yourself, to be accepting about yourself at any point in time. Um, but you can also just look at, you can also always find examples that will make you feel small, that you make you feel inadequate. And I think that's a, that's a common enough, or I would even say probably too common of a, too common of an affliction these days. So yeah, some of the things that we like to work on in the theater, and I think that theater is something that we haven't had a chance to discuss yet, but it's, it's fine because let's just, you know, wing it. But, uh, yeah, to me, I think that's a big thing that why, why I'm so interested in theatre and working with, uh, with youth and young people there is because it's a truly excellent tool to open up some of these questions with young people. Because you can't sort of like jolly well say and be like, oh yeah, come to like uh, 
self-analysis class that we're going to discuss self-acceptance and social <laughs> rules, you know, and like all the teenagers are going to be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, but to me, acting is, is certainly a, a wonderful way of, of uh, dealing with introspection because you're asked to assess all the different voices that you contain. And we all contain myriad of voices, right? It's just that at some point in time, typically when, when you're in puberty, you sort of learn that these are the voices that are gonna keep me safe and keep me lovable, and they're gonna keep me not mocked by my peers, and I'm just gonna to stick to them. And all the other voices and all the other identities, I'm just gonna shove somewhere, and that's it. So when you're asked to step outside of your main identities and assume other ones, then that opens questions for you. Why did I shelve these? What am I afraid of? How does society judge me in this way? Was it, you know, so it's, it's a really, really great way to, to open up certain doors, mental doors, that you would otherwise probably keep shut. And it's, it's uh, something I believe in very much. And certainly we've had plans for further expansion now. We'll try a theater of going into other Eastern European cities. Being a, an Eastern European myself, um, I kind of feel that that's where the most need lies because it's sort of like a very, um, it's fine type of mentality. Like no one is really asked to ask themselves any questions or open up any of these doors that we discussed, but just kind of just push through it type of thing. But I, I think that the more doors you can open, the, the airier and spacier your, your living habitat will be. So, um, so yeah, it's nice to know yourself. I suppose. Um, yeah, I think when I first, uh, when I very first met you, you told me that um, working with young people in theatre was your big passion. I think something where we've all sort of agreed on, um, whether it's through sport or whether it's through theatre, that kind of holistic approach. And like you said, using, basically using drama or using sport um, as a way to get those messages across to people, and especially young people, without it being necessarily to become a world famous actor or to become the next Michael Phelps. It's, it's using it as a tool to sort of progress people, um, which you saw, you mentioned there. So what, what is it that you do within your theatre or to make, to make that happen? How, how would you use it as a tool? Well, it's, it's something that, and then to just sort of like send it back to the sender, I, I mean, essentially we're in the same line of work. Um, um, and I think that's why I really enjoy working with you guys as well on, our, on, on all our Croatia camps uh, and why I feel so great that you guys are there that's such a popular camp is because you have that exact same approach, obviously in your own way, because, you know, you know, you guys are individuals and I'm an individual. We, we, we do essentially the same things in different ways. But the way that you work with young swimmers, to me, is also very, very inspirational because it's not just sort of like boot camp get your butt in the water and da 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 <laughs> Yeah, kind of like, you need to be, yeah, you need to be the best in the world, you don't want to be a loser, that thing. <laughs> but, it's, but it's a very, it's a very, very holistic, it's a very, very holistic approach, uh, I think, and that you create friendships with these children and you listen to them and you talk to them. And essentially, the number one uh, prerequisite for me is creating a safe space. So creating a safe space for young people to express themselves because they have a lot that they contain. They have a lot 
that they want to say, they have a lot that they want to share, they have a lot that they want to get out. But for that, they need to feel like they're in a safe space. Uh, so essentially, the most you can do in, in any case is just to create a platform, um, a playground, if you like, at which they will feel that they can go out and play, you know, and feel that they can go out and play and really air out their various identities, not feel like they constantly have to be hiding something, not feel like they constantly need to be, oh, the cool guy or the pretty girl or the slightly emo girl sitting on the side and not caring for anything, you know, but... Um, but sort of like uh, that they can just go ahead and ex explore the, the, the richness that they are, you know? And, and, and I think that's, again, kudos to you guys as well, because it very much says that you're extremely good at creating that exact same safe space where kids feel like they're in a great spot to be themselves and, and, and explore themselves. Great, thanks. Well. I mean, there is, there's a bit of a crossover, really, when we do the camps uh, with you guys out in Croatia, between um, in Croatia, Swim Swift, and your tri-theatre, in that you get uh, a couple of the guys from theatre to come and chaperone for, uh, for the swimmers. And obviously the swimmers that join us on these camps are from all around the world. So really diverse range of, of um, you know, nationalities, um sometimes there's there's a little bit of a, a broad range of ages as well and it's really nice to kind of have those swimmers come together um in that kind of age group that you're talking about too and i mean i i've always found it like really really positive having those chaperones there and they do have a real way of bringing all the kids together you know they've, they've never met before a lot of them haven't um but they end up, like you say, leaving as friends and forming some really, really strong bonds. I mean, how important do you think that uh, role of the chaperone is and them coming from tri-theatre, do you think that that makes a big difference as well? Well, I think the, the I mean, any role in which person is, is happy in the role, in which person is comfortable with themselves, that to me is, is bingo, you know? That, that to me is, is as good as it gets, right? You guys are very comfortable being swim coaches and advisors and friends and so on and so forth. And, and that's why you're really good at that. And same thing with chaperones, you need to get somebody who is, who is comfortable in that role. Somebody who's not gonna feel like they're out of place or that's something they need to prove or all anxious about things, you know? So um, to me, that's why it's really nice. That's the benefit of aging is that uh, I've been running triathletes now for you know 10 years and um, you've seen certain people grow from 13 to 23 and, and they've been with you and they're now really capable, smart, young people. Um, and yes, absolutely. I think that the theater experience has helped them open up and sort of like not take things as dogmatically or not. It's just seeing essentially that yes, they contain multitudes and that's fine. And it's perfectly okay to connect with other people. And it's perfectly okay to have a laugh with other people. It's perfectly okay to have an emotional conversation with somebody. If somebody needs an emotional conversation to go into the vulnerable, to go into the funny, that it's, it's not kind of like, oh no, this is the box of, how you need to be when you talk to somebody else, but then you just sort of like a little bit more mellow, be a bit more fluid, you know? And Because that, that fluidity at the end of the day is, is really what, what binds us all together, you know? Um, it's kind of like, same thing with teenagers, because it's a, if you, if you, 
look upon it, you know, so like with, with your camp, it's mostly kids who are like 13 to 16. That is a really rough age. You know, like that is an age that I would not want to go back to because you are in this factory of insecurity. Yeah, you know, like uh, well, pre-puberty, everything goes. You know, you're fine. Whatever your mum and dad puts on you to go to school, you'll go to school on that, you're fine. Um, but then all of a sudden you start comparing yourself to others, you start uh, creating inadequacies, so on and so forth. And then you come into a, a hostile situation like a new camp and all of a sudden you have that. So I think it's really important to have somebody who has that ability, but also the chaperones, um, of kind of just saying, right, you know, get out of your glass. Because like, if you say like, if you have this water in this glass, and because I don't know, I'm in a glass and this is who I am on the glass. But you, you're not. You're really the water. You know, it's, it's, it's the water that makes this glass pertinent. If it wasn't for water, what good is the glass if you have nothing to put in it? You know, so you're really the water. So, but a lot of the times we just look upon ourselves as sort of like, oh, no, no, this is who I am. I'm made of glass and you hit me too hard, I'm going to break. You know, so you're the water. You're just going to spill into something else. You can't break. Um, so I think it's really, really nice to, to be able to find somebody who can sort of like um, open it up a little bit and, and um, create a more uh, safe environment for, for, for young people to not take themselves too seriously and just enjoy themselves. And I think, you know, like looking back at the five years of camps that we've had um, between the swimming component that you guys have done so marvelously and the social component that you guys also take in, but the chaperones have been in charge of. There have been some really, really enjoyable camps, I think, for most. Yeah, it's good. It's a bit like Bruce Lee there, mate, uh, being like water. Um, but yeah, like, we, we every summer, yeah, we like water, my friend. Um, yeah, every summer, you know, like, sat in a patio, having a little beer after the days of camp, uh, looking out of the sea, because it's a, it's a tough job we've got. And uh, we'll obviously review and reflect on, uh, on the camp and how it's going so far. And I think one thing since day one which we thought was really good was to bring those chaperones in, that they managed to create a team dynamic really, really quickly, like faster than probably we would be able to do on our own, where these kids coming from all over the world have known everybody's names by the like by day one, day two, they'll know everybody's names and you know, are made friends. And that's probably been one of the nicest things for us. Before we've had um, some kids that have been on camp one year and become little pen pals with each other, even though they live in different countries, and then they've come back again the next year because they both knew each other were going to come on it, which is uh, which has been really fantastic for us. We really felt good to be a part of that. And um, yeah, it's been really nice. Is there any sort of developments you're looking at during this time? So obviously uh, everything's closed down. Have you sort of uh, used this time for any reflection on where you think you'd like to develop, like try theatre and stuff moving forwards? Is it gearing time for that? Or is it everything's on pause and you're just going to pick up running where you are? Well, right now it's kind of like we were working on a big try theatre development. So uh, going into Warsaw, Bucharest, um, what else was it? Tallinn, a couple of other places. And that was coming along really, really beautifully. But yeah, it did go on a bit of a break right now. And yet, right now, making big plans almost feels like, you know, you're trying to build a brick and mortar house. And you're just kind of like, oh, if the sand moves away, then you're, you're missed, you know? But yeah. I think most of the programs that we've been running will survive in one form, form or another because uh, they're not necessarily just very simple 
um, oh yeah, here's a hotel and a cocktail and we want to make you feel like you're special for a week and then go back into your life type of thing. Um, but I think pretty everything we've done over the years, both the Tri-Theatre and Ring for Asia, had to do with relationships. So had to do with developing relationships, had to do with um, developing, looking at yourself, looking at others, accepting others, accepting yourself. Um, creating friendships, like you said, I think it's a beautiful example you've just given. But the very fact that, you know, uh, the three of us uh, will talk whatever once a month just to like, you know, get together and to, like have a, have a Skype or a Zoom conversation. I think it's, it's really, really beautiful, you know, and it's not, it's not something that you typically always find. But so I think that in this sense, um, life will go on. Um, we're not sure exactly how these programs will develop. But certainly what the focus has been also for in Croatia is working a lot more with um, community service. So not just pretending that Croatia is all nice and beautiful and beaches and uh, amazing green meets the blue, whatever not, which it is, and that's great. I don't want to get sued by the tourist board of Croatia. Um, but but it's, it's a stunningly beautiful country, but it has its problems. Um, so I think, again, like we discussed in the beginning, not to just, oh yeah, I'm just gonna post my good pictures. Um, I think it's really important to also work with children from like the orphanages, uh, you know, kids from, from underprivileged homes, that type of stuff. So pretty much all the trips that we're running now with international schools, with universities, with many of the camps, would also include a component of, of stepping outside of your comfort zone socially as well as physically not too much obviously because if you know somebody gets you too far out of your comfort zone is just going to create a trauma but just getting people to diversify their perspective and not necessarily say oh good you know coffee makes me happy water makes me fart so i'll just drink the coffee you know but uh, but the, they have a they have a wider perspective and and realizing why something affects them in a certain way and what are some of the ways in which that they can be engaging uh, themselves as as critically thinking individuals as as life moves on. Um, so yeah, that's is sort of like our platform really that that we envisage as the thing. But yeah, in terms of like concrete specific projects, yes, there are things that we are working on, but you know, for 2021 and even some progress for 2020, your camp is still on for late August, which, which looks like it's going to be successful. We have the big uh, Increatious Swim Challenge uh, in October that I hope that you guys will be able to come out for. It's the opportunity to swim about 25 kilometers over two days in the Adriatic. Okay. I was sprinting, I remember, Ivan. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know you can just do you can just do a hundred meters and then come out for a as a boat there. But what hundred meters? You're going to dominate for a hundred meters. <laughs> get on the boat. So, so, so yeah, but no, it's, it's it's a challenge. So it's not a race, and and that's really the the um, sort of like the direction in which we're heading is is to say, you know, come out if you can swim all twenty five k, brilliant. If you swim 5k and the longest you ever swam before was three and a half, then that's a kilometer and a half more than you did before. So well done. Sit down, have a banana and a beer, and 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 you know be proud of yourself. So so yeah. So uh, 
that's uh, that's that's the look at it. We're, we're not trying to create, you know, Ubermensch of kind of like, oh yeah, we only work with the elite and the elite. But um, we want people to have a good time. We want people to discover new reservoirs within themselves that that they just need a little nudge yeah. to, to to try and discover. You know, yeah. very good. Definitely it sounds sounds fun. Yeah. Intrigued by this in October. Yeah, intrigued by what? Twenty five. Well, yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, so. Obviously now you do you, some swimming and some running for yourself. Um, and what you've kind of alluded to already is that you were formerly um, a basketball player as well through. Um, I mean, first of all, let, like tell us a little bit about that and about your own basketball career, but also with what you've gone into now, um, obviously working with youth, um, trying to develop them socially, personally and, and all of that. And linking that in with your experiences that you had from your own basketball career at that kind of age and any relationships that you had that may have helped that or whether it's with parents, with other teammates, you know, how do you think that all fits in? Like, what have you learned from that? And you've obviously got two of your own kids now. Like, does that affect how you might then work with them or any of the kids that you do work with? Yeah, that's it's a really Lovely. interesting question. <laughs> yeah, it's a really interesting question. Like, I hope you guys have the next two hours. <laughs> Can I have a bottle of whiskey, please? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, when I was growing up, um, so like late uh, late eighties, um, and which was the time at which I was beginning to do sports, and um, Yugoslavia, which was still a country at the time, was very very successful. It was going like through this great big height um, of its sporting of its sporting uh, life as a country so they're very good at a number of sports but certainly basketball was the one that was uh, dominant with players like Drazen Petrovic and Tony Kukoc and Vlada Divac and like a really really strong team um, and they were you know idols in everybody's eyes so everybody wanted to be be like them and then that also coincided with the NBA becoming such a global phenomenon, partly because of Michael Jordan and, you know, just kind of like it becoming a global game and, and selling sneakers and so on and so forth, you know, like big posters and all that type of stuff. So for me, fell into basketball. Um, it just also happened that I grew to be quite tall. I'm uh, two meters tall, so that's what, six, six and a half. And, um, and my dad was a basketball coach as well. So he always kind of like had the, oh yeah, you're going to be my son and you're going to go into basketball and, and uh, you're going to live out the career that I never had. Um, so I only realized that later, of course, at the time, you know, you're just a kid and you want to be liked by your dad. So I was like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's fun. It's only later in my late 20s actually that I realized just how unhealthy of a relationship that was. Um, but um, yeah, at the time, it just kind of like go along with it. And then, uh, yeah, that led, you know, one thing led to another. And I was on the Croatian under 16 national team, ended up in the States uh, for a couple of years playing high school. And then came back and played semi professionally in Slovenia. But um, to me, really, the, some of the most interesting things looking back at it was just how much of it was an attempt to prove to myself that I could do that, you know, that I can be, that I can be. A winner and that I can be successful and that I can win and ironically enough whenever I think about um, typically up until at least the semi-professional level playing division one I was one of the better players on my team um, and 
because I was one of the better players in my team, because I attached playing basketball so much to my identity and my ego and everything, whenever it would come down to the wire of kind of like, it's, it's a clutch game, it's, it's a close game, you know, it's like clutch shots. I would choke, I would miss free throws, I would miss shots, I would lose balls because I was putting this pressure on myself of that I would perform. And ironically enough, out of this fear not to lose, you would lose, right? Just like you guys are professional sportsmen as well, you know just how powerful an instrument pressure is, right? So if you're preparing and you're all, you know, you're on that starting block and you have 88 million things going through your head, you know, it's kind of like, don't make a fool of yourself, don't make a fool of yourself, really make sure you're off to a good start. You can really mess yourself up in this way. So um, I didn't do at least not regarding this, I didn't do any official therapy, but I certainly spent a lot of time, certainly spent a lot of time thinking about myself, my approach to sports, what sports means to me, uh, why I was, you know, why, why was basketball one of the places at which I was morally the most flexible um, in then all the places I did some things on the court that I would just consider just bad, you know, just kind of like, why, why would you want to try and, you know, like just, you know, little things kind of like, lying to the ref about a call or something like you know you hit a guy and you say no, i didn't touch it you know like those types of things you know kind of like or provoking guys into being angry you know trash talking all that type of stuff so like yeah okay part of it has to do with sort of like the teenage and, and young male uh type of i want to dominate uh thing but also i think a lot of it, it just has to do with competitiveness just with sort of like this pressure to win so for me right now it's uh, as, as a father myself of my children being eight and seven um and sort of like nearing that age at which they started to do sports and the like yeah it's 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 a big thing to be as standoffish as i possibly can you know it's to be a standoffish and like okay if you want to do this let's try and do this but not to push them to be as result oriented if they end up being that that's fine you know, that's perfectly, you know, if, 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 if Zell ends up being the next Michael Jordan, which I doubt, uh, then, then, then that's fine. Then if it happens, then it happens. But for me, I think it's really important when you approach young people is not to try and impose your own uh, vision of the sports or of the theatre or of the play or whatever it is that you're doing, but that you allow that you truly now uh, allow enough space for themselves to, to discover some sort of their own take, so their own approach to the sport. Because just because basketball meant this and this and this to me, doesn't mean it needs to meet the same thing to somebody else. In fact, there's a 99.9% .9 chance that it's not going to mean that thing because they're different people, it's a different time. So it's very, very important not to try to hold the world still. It likes to revolve. So, um, so yeah, to me, it's, uh, it's, it's been a sort of a love and hate relationship with basketball. And yes, one of my guilty pleasures these days is also like going back and watching like, you know, YouTubing 90s games. And so like, oh yeah, I'll just watch that game. It was a great game, you know? Um, but I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure that I had an entirely healthy relationship with sports from today's perspective. At the time, I enjoyed it, but looking back at it now, I also feel that uh, it has caused me quite a bit of grief, and it has certainly 
uh, emphasized my feeling that um, I was born inadequate and that it's only when I win that I'm vindicated. And, uh, and that, that's great. But if you lose them, that's awful and you should be, feel ashamed about it. Uh, which is a horrible, which is a horrible premise to be starting from, really. Yeah, it's kind of like you, you only have a slim, you only have a slim chance of, of not even going into the positive, but just going to, to, to zero. And then that's only going to last for a little while before you say, right, what's the next league? What's the next challenge? What's the next trophy that I can win, right? So, um, yeah, that's, that's uh, I hope that kind of answers your question. I mean, I mean, yeah. there's some really nice points to pull out of that. I mean, firstly, I think as, a, as an athlete, whatever you do achieve means more if it's you that wanted to achieve it. It was your goal. It was your idea. It was you that was driven to get there. It was not coming through someone else, whether it be parents or and a coach or anything, you know, yeah, for sure. to swim in. But um, also, you know, advice for parents in there is kind of let them find their own route let your let your athlete your your child find their own route um because it will mean more to them and because the the pressure that can get put on them if you know the focus is, is a bit wrong um it can be of detriment massively um yeah but there's a lot of great advice in there i think from parents side no. of things as well yeah. uh, we've, uh, obviously the age we work with is usually 10 to 16 and like you said before, you spend a lot of time sort of reflecting on yourself. Uh, and once you've gone through that, you sort of like come to some sort of realizations. It must be very hard as a parent not to want to pass it on to your kids and to your athletes as a coach to save them a little bit of time and so they can learn from your mistakes. Um, and, you know, we've even had um, times where parents are, are kind of getting a little bit pushy with the kids and they're wanting to work with us so much that we think is to a, de a detriment to them. And we've actually like, had to, you know, have the awkward conversation and tell them that's probably not in the best interest of their 10, 11 year old swimmer to be making really two hour long journeys to see us like weekly visits. They don't need that. They don't need that. They need time to develop themselves and work things out. And enjoy it. And yeah, keep that enjoyment. Cause like you said, you didn't have the, <clears throat> excuse me, the healthiest relationship with sport. You're not sure about that. Um, so yeah, you want to keep that kind of lifelong uh, love of sport uh, and, and, and you exercising. I think I think like that sometimes gets overlooked, and a lot of coaches fall into the trap. What, what I see is where they'll really want the best results-driven performances out of their young swimmers, and lots of their swimmers, as with all sports, they don't make it into senior level because they've, they've become saturated, they've become blown out, and they've been doing ten sessions a week when they're fourteen. They never swim until they're 18 and really all what mostly matters about sport if you're looking at people's eye, you know, where the view is is what you do as an adult and what you do in your senior career a lot of these really good athletes are making it into the senior career and i feel like we could have oh, yeah. those pitfalls well we saw that with michael jordan didn't we he didn't um right. his first draft um for the collegiate round was it i can't remember exactly what it was but he basically he, his first time of trying to get into kind of that NBA, he, he wasn't there, was he? I don't think. Yeah, high school level, yeah. You, you're yeah. right. But yeah, I think to me it's um, what you guys are talking about. Yes, I think this is a very common trap and the very common trap is the trap of the result-driven result-driven training, result-driven life for that yeah. matter. Because everything we're talking about sports, and which is why sports are so 
popular at the end of the day because they're like a microcosm of, of life, right? Excel in life as well. That's why people look upon look upon athletes with such veneration because they're like, oh yeah, that's a success story. You know? I, I wish I was a success story as well. Um, and it's a bit Lost you. Oh, can you guys hear me? Uh, yeah, got you back now, mate. Yeah, yeah sorry. You back. He just, uh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> Portugal, Portugal internet's not used to the rain, I suppose. So, <laughs> what's, what's so um, yeah, I think for, for coaches, the biggest, the biggest thing is not to try to feel like results will vindicate them. So that if they're good with results, that that is what makes them good coaches especially when it comes especially when it comes to working with young people right yeah. so okay if you're a coach in a professional club and it's all business if you're a coach of chicago bulls you're a coach from major university whatever it might be okay fine cool you, you, you've got endorsement sponsorships that's a business that's different that's no longer sports but when working young people it's not really, it's not how many people you're going to put into the nationals and it's not how many people you're going to put into great universities and it's not how many future Olympians you're going to create. It really should be about will the children enjoy the practices? Will they feel like they're in a great spot? You know, I mean, you're going to feed them chocolate every time they come because obviously that's only going to last for a couple of weeks and then you'll say, right, yeah, I can just buy this at Tesco's. Um, it's cheaper, but uh, but uh, it's it's about creating an atmosphere in which you gel with them and, and, and you really create something. And parents, oh, that's that's a that's a tough one. And you know, as a parent myself, I think, um, and you know, someone who's worked with with young people both in sports because I was a basketball coach and and uh, in the theatre as well. You know, uh, parenting is is something that no one actually quite prepares you from. You don't go to a parenting school. You know, it's kind of all you all you need to qualify is yeah, and a good night out, and uh, so so you just kind of like roll with it, and you wish the best for your kids. It's universally accepted that you love your children, and you wish the best for your children. But no one teaches you what the best is, right? And you never really take the time to get to know your child and realize what the specific best for that child is, and that's a huge thing. You just start from the premise that if you give them like the things that you can give them materially, so like a good house, a good education, uh, good food, da, 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 all that type of stuff, and then opportunities, right? Opportunities to excel. But what you don't realize that in giving them opportunities to excel, creating uh, a vast amount, see how I didn't use a cuss word there, you're creating a vast amount of pressure um, for these children, because now they feel that yes, you've given them the opportunity to excel, so they had better go out there and excel, you know. And you're 12, 13, 14, and you, you feel this pressure. And even if you're kind of like aloof as a parent, so no, no, you just go and do everything to keep pushing them into this situation from time to time, give them a little guilty kind of like, oh, I guess you skipped practice this morning, did you? Okay, well, why am I paying for that? Practice? Well. Michael Phelps never skipped practices, you know? Um, so um, then, uh, yeah, you, you're just creating a lot of pressure on, 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 on these kids. And that pressure directly tra translates into non-acceptance because they feel like 
it's only if I do all the practices, it's only if I am really good at this, I'm really good at school. If like if you look upon it today, especially, you know, kind of like if I'm really good at school, if I'm really good at sports, if I have a million followers on Facebook, if I look really good, if I have the right type of romantic involvement, you know, um, all, all that type of stuff, it's, it's, it's a really, really tough time to be uh, growing up. So I think a lot of the times, yes, parents in wanting the best for their children do what is quite often the, the very opposite. Uh, they, they create pressure for themselves. Why? Because they're concerned much more so with their image of themselves as parents. Saying, I gave you everything, damn it. <laughs> as opposed to what you do, you know? So like, sit down, figure out who your child is, okay? Sit down and figure out who your child is, and then try and give them what they need, as opposed to, I think it's a great idea because I'm a Russian dad and I've seen Maria Sharapova and Anna Kornikova and I'm gonna send you into tennis lessons and you better become the next Sharapova, Kornikova, whatever now. You know, it's kind of like, yes, and uh, I'm gonna sit in Wimbledon and, and you're gonna thank me during your speech. And I made it possible, you know? It doesn't need to be Russian, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't need to be. Um, <laughs> Racist in the sense, obviously, the Venus, the Venus, uh, Venus and Serena Williams dad was was even worse. Um, so yeah, there's. I think that there is a, a very big egotistic uh, drive in many parents, and I recognize it myself as well sometimes, um, and try to stop myself as often as I can to sort of like have your child make you look good. Um, and it's a, it's a hard thing to it's a hard thing to admit to yourself. It's a really hard thing to admit to yourself that you're using your child so that you would look good as a parent. Um, be it from dressing them up all cute or whatever it might be. It's kind of like freaking kids. Let them get busy. Let them do their own thing. You know, like let them figure them out their own thing. Um, so yeah, I think that parents parents are it's a tough job to have. It's a really tough job to have. And certainly something that you shouldn't just take very, very lightly. Um, but they try to develop not necessarily a parent-child relationship, but almost kind of like a matey relationship with your child in which a friendly relationship, in which you understand who they are, what their needs are, seeing which ways you can facilitate for that as opposed to bark your own impressions of what good life is upon them and in doing so create this stifling pressure. Yeah. I mean, we've never done the parenting thing, obviously, uh, but if we ever do, I think that's some good advice to take. <laughs> well, if you need advice on how to start, I can send you, I can send you some sketches <laughs> later on today. So. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Ivan, for that. I think there's some really, really great points to take out of that for the swimmers, coaches, parents, and just people in general on, you know, enjoy what you're doing. It's, you know, reduce that pressure a little bit and find yeah. you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, Thank yeah. You so I agree with that. My, my absolute pleasure. This is really, and again, go back to the start of the uh, conversation. Much appreciation, really, and much gratitude for, for, for both of you, having you in, in my life and all the great work that you're doing with young people around the world, really, because I know that you guys are, you know, um, shaking all over the place with Africa and Belgium and all sorts of 
all sorts of places. I'm, I'm really, really happy that somebody who has the right, both professional, but more importantly, human values um, gets, gets exposure to, to young people because it's going to affect their lives for the better. Oh, well, thank you. It's great. Thank you, Mike. We've learned it from you, Ivan. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for stroking my ego. That's a great, that's a great place. To, <laughs> that's a great way to stop a conversation. Yeah, I'm like, oh, cool. I feel good about myself now. I can bugger off. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again, Ivan. And we really hope that we'll get to see you in the summer and catch up with you in 3D as well. Yeah. I'm counting on it. I'm counting on it. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the next count, mate. All the best. Thanks for your time. Thanks. My absolute pleasure, guys. Thanks. Take care.